Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Thank you so much. Amen. Cowboy boots and shorts. It it reminds me of several Christmas pictures that I have in cowboy boots and shorts, standing in front of the Christmas tree with a holster on and a cowboy. I was, I'm a Floridian, but I loved cowboys and Indians, and I always wanted some boots and a hat and a holster, because you know, a cowboy always has his gun. It's It's a great illustration of prayer, by the way. No matter where that cowboy was, he always had his gun. If he was in the tub, you know those tubs they would get in, his gun was always nearby. I think the lesson there is better to have it and not need it than the needed and not have it. I think we should remember that about prayer. I've got an image of this morning. It's from, I think it's from Spy Kids, and it's from uh, one of my, a guy that I follow called the Honest Youth Pastor, and he always comes out with the best graphics. And I want you to pay attention to this graphic. I want you to see when your lenses are, are, are all out of order. That's, that's this graphic. Now, listen, look at, look, look at what the first lens is. You see that one? Politics. And then we look through the lens of gender, and then race, then economics, then culture. And then the last lens is the lens of Scripture. Now, this is a very powerful image because the, the lenses are out of order. Now, I love, I love, I've been preaching 30 years and people have come up to me after worship and say, Pastor, uh, I wish so-and-so could have been here to hear this sermon. They really needed to hear it. And I'm, and, 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 and because I'm reformed and I believe in, in sovereignty and God's providential uh, will, I believe, well, if they weren't here, it wasn't intend for, intended for them to hear it yet, but it was most certainly intended for you. Are your lenses out of order? I want you to think about this this morning as we dig in to Romans chapter number 13. It's a a sticky passage for Westerners and specifically Americans because, because it deals with how our responsibility towards government. So you know all my sermons begin with a question, and it is, how do God's new covenant people live under a secular government? How do we, God's new covenant people, live 
under a secular government. Now, it's true that when a government violates scripture or violates our spirit-led consciences or demands ultimate allegiance, the follower of Jesus Christ, as we follow him, we are obligated to oppose it and refuse to support it. The truth is believers may at times resist governmental authorities on account of God's word. Let me be clear here. Because this is important because in our own day, there are people who teach riot and rebellion in the name of Jesus Christ. They would have you and I to believe that that the, the Christian way is to disobey the law and rebel against authorities and, 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 and it permits everyone to do that which is right in his own eyes. But here's my point. You know I only have one. This is what I want you to walk away with. Allegiance to God does not negate our responsibility toward secular authority. I want us to hear this. Through through the lens of Scripture, not the lens of culture, not the lens of race, not the lens of economics, not the lens of gender, through the lens, first lens of Scripture. So let's unpack it. What, how, and why? First, what? What what do we do? Paul says, and this is a dense package, and it's really a two-part sermon, but I've got to put it all together in one. So it's really dense, so bear with me, because I want to unpack verses 1 through 7. We submit, Paul says, be subject to, to authority. He says, submit to authority. It's a military term, which means to fall into order. And the word for us, submission, invokes all kinds of images and feelings, doesn't it? Submission can be a tough pill to swallow, especially in a democracy where we champion individuals' rights to protest or voice ideas. Y'all walking with me? After all, we think if those in authority were elected by the people, shouldn't we have a say in what they do or how they do it? But remember now, Paul wrote this during the reign of the Roman emperor Nero. Ah, now, while Nero had not yet turned into the evil anti-Christian emperor he was to become, there were signs of anti-Christian activity already in the empire. So, So listen, it was no democracy. It was no special friend to Christians. And Paul still saw the legitimacy of the authority. Because Paul's rationale for submission has nothing to do with the type of government 
or their godliness or their competence or their qualification. Instead, his call for submission to their authority is grounded in God's authority. The authority to rule originates with God. I want you to hear me. Because resistance to the law or resistance to authority is to resist God. It's to resist God's authority. God has established the governments of the world as imperfect as they are because they're all comprised of sinful human beings like the one in your mirror. It is God who has established the governments of the world. And watch this. God uses governing authorities as a check upon our sinful desires and tendencies. I always driving to Florida or wherever we're going. We don't, my wife cut out driving. We don't drive, drive anymore. We fly, only fly. But when I was driving, I was the primary driver because some for some reason, my wife, like I'm sure many other fellas in here, always gets sleepy. So I'm driving, and I, I'm never um, intentionally um, disregarding the speed limit. Um, in fact, I'm, most of the time, I'm not trying to break it. I fracture it, but I don't try to break it. And, and there have been times where I have been pulled over by law enforcement, and, and they always ask you, uh, uh, most time, uh, do you know what speed you were going? Or did you see the speed limit? And, I, and, and you know, I ask, answer in the affirmative. I give them the answer they want to hear, actually. But my answer is really, well, I, I, I saw the speed limit. I didn't see you. There's something inside of us innately. We are natural sinners and we only have the desire before Christ comes into our lives and gives us a new heart and a new mind and a new desire. Our only desire is selfishness and sin. We need government to help, to, to, to help deal with our tendencies. So in verse 4, Paul, uh, he uses, uh, he references the sword, and, 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 and it's, a, it's a form of capital punishment. In the Roman Empire, uh, criminals were typically, this is gruesome, executed by beheading with a sword. We know about crucifixion, but it's mindful to remember that crucifixion was reserved for the worst criminals of the lowest class. And it's through the just punishment of evil that government serves its function in God's plan of holding our sinful tendencies in check. In Paul's day, all those serving in public uh, as public officials, listen, they probably, they were probably, they, they were more than likely non-believers. 
Because we have this thing in American Christianity that we need to put believers in office. We have some alleged believers in office. Our government still ain't the way it ought to be. Whether, whether they're non-believers or believers, that makes no difference for us because there is no authority apart from that which God has established. He alone is the sole source of authority, and it has pleased him to delegate this authority to those in charge of the public well-being. This is what Paul is saying. He calls for the believers. He calls for us to submit because he's firmly convinced that God is in control and that nobody secures a position of authority unless he permits it. And if we choose to resist these authorities, we are at the same time choosing to resist God. He says in verse 7, he said, that's why he said, listen, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect toward whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Peter deals with it in his letter. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, there are three institutions established by God, the family, the church, and the government. When, you get, when I'm done with this sermon, you, before you go home, you're going to get a handout. It's the Westminster Larger Confession, Larger Catechism, uh, uh, question and answers 123 through 133 that deal with the fifth commandment. Now, you may not know them like I do because you don't deal with the commandments all the time. But the fifth commandment is that one that, that, that says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I love the Westminster Confession, and, and, and I, uh, uh, Eric is back there. He's going to smile. Now, it was written by Anglicans. It's... It's, it's ours. Now, the Presbyterians kind of hijacked it, but it's really our document. All right? Bear that in mind. So when you read this, I want you, it, it unpack. I don't have time in this sermon to do it, but I wanted to give you this handout, and I want you to take it home, and I really want you to understand what authority means because our disrespect and disregard for authority toward government, toward uh, uh, our uh, 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 teachers, toward uh, law enforcement, toward anyone in authority begins with our disordered honor or lack thereof for our parents. That's where it begins. It starts there. Paul, Peter says, be subject to the, uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Why? He says, for this is the will of God. And that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are Free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God, Peter says. 
honor everyone. Not, now, it doesn't say, it, it, there, there's no stipulation if they deserve it, uh, if they, they earn it. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Our God tells us our relationship with government is what do we do? We submit to authority. Now, we may not like who won an election or the direction the party in power might take our country, but this does, not, not, this, this does nothing to change the confidence we should have that God is sovereign. That, that, that you, you, you know, who, who, who's in office? Who cares who's in office? God is sovereign. That's why I go to bed at night. Not because of, of Biden or whoever is occupying the presidency or, 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 or because Abbott is occupying uh, 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 the governorship. No, that, that, for me, that's a, when I go to bed at night, I don't even be thinking about that. I be thinking about, I want to get as many hours of sleep as I can. I want to wake up. I've got to do, I may have to go running in the morning. I may have to go boxing, you know, because Kira and I are boxing twice a week. Not each other, but we go to boxing class. <laughs> we go to, I, I, I'm not... Lord, protect us, guard us. I'm thinking about God and his sovereignty because I'm looking through the lens of Scripture. Not the lens of that I'm an African-American man from Florida, which some people don't consider the South. You, you've never been to Florida then. Uh, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm thinking about God is sovereign. That's what I have to remember. That's what you have to remember. When you turn on the news, you have to remember, help Holy Spirit, help us to remember that you are sovereign. That you're in control. You, listen, 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 I, listen. God rules, God overrules, and God superrules. God is sovereign over your health, over your finances, over your relationship. It, 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 listen, listen, in your marriage. And God is sovereign over whomever is leading in government. That's why we don't flip out and, tri and trip out. It, 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 God is sovereign. It doesn't matter who won or who lost. God has not abdicated the throne, and in fact, he is not even leaning on his throne. God is sovereign. What? Secondly, how? How do we, how do we, how do we interact with government, uh, 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 secular government? How? We're guided by love. That's what he says in verse 8 through 10. And he uses the word, the, the, the Greek word, agapao. And, it, it, and, and, and in the New Testament, it, 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 it's, it, agapao is active. It's, 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 not, it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's something you do. It's, it's the active love of God for his son and his people and the active love we are to have for God and each other and watch this, even our enemies. 
It means to love, to value, to esteem, to feel a manifest generous concern for. It means, listen, love means to be faithful towards. It means to delight in. When I go pick up Kira from work and she's walking out of the, uh, uh, her building downtown, uh, uh, the Pennzoil building, the, Pen the Pennzoil Tower, and sometimes I'm parked across the street and when she's coming out of the door, I get out and I jump up and down because I haven't seen her all day and I'm excited about seeing my bride. That's, that's love in action, that I delight in her. Culture says, culture says love is love. God's word says God is love. That's different. Read the, read the, pick up the book, The Secular Creed. Love is love, which was first put out uh, uh, by the, the Obama administration uh, uh, supporting LGBTQIA, uh, elemental P, QRZ uh, relationships uh, uh, and, and, and saying it doesn't matter who you love. Well, for the follower of Jesus Christ in discipleship, we can't rock with that because that's not what God's word teaches us. God's word says God, theos, is agapao. God is love. So our understanding of love flows from our understanding of who God has revealed himself in his word. That's what love is. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotional. I don't always feel love. I'm in love. I don't always feel like it. When Morgan or Kira or my mom or my sons want me to do, man, I don't feel like loving. I'm tired. I feel like sleep or I feel like I don't want to be bothered. Paul turns from his discussion of authority to address relationships, our relationships with others. The primary ethic that should govern all of us in every relationship is love. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And Paul adds love as yet another thing we owe others. Not they deserve it. We owe it to them. Not because they've earned it. We owe it to them. Taxes, revenue, honor, and respect can be paid in full, but love cannot be measured. Paul describes love as an ongoing obligation, one that can never be fully paid. We just read Matthew chapter 22, verse, beginning at verse 15. But if you keep reading, those, those Pharisees come back because they're just trying to get Jesus, uh, get, they, they got to get something on him so they can kill him. And, and so they try to entrap him. So, so they, 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 they ask him a question about which is the greatest commandment. And instead of Jesus providing one answer, he answers with two. He says, he, he says and, and, and this is the great commandment. 
that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, I don't have much time, so pay close attention. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's vertical. I've talked about this before because your vertical relationship is your number one relationship between you and God. All right. Secondly, you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's that horizontal beam in the cross because, listen, I cannot have a healthy, wholesome relationship with you uh, that's authentic and genuine and, 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 and liberating if, if my relationship with God is not in order. Let me tell you something. Every single relationship you have is a revelation of your relationship with God in public and in private, the way you treat me in traffic or at the grocery store defines your entire relationship with God. Because you are loving me, I am loving my wife, my children from the overflow of my relationship with God. That's the problem with trying to always people uh, with this selfie, this selfie generation that every time I turn around, I'm loving myself. I'm loving myself. I'm learning how to love myself. You are totally miserable because you're trying to start at ground zero from an empty container. The only reason I can love you is because of the love that I received from God that, 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 that accepts me and approves me and transforms me and changes me and convicts me and confronts me. Oh, Lord, help me today. It, it, it deals with the sinfulness and the selfishness and the pride and the ego that doesn't need the land. It needs to be shot down. That's what God's love does. It transforms. And then out of that love, I love you. That's how I love you. That's how, that's how, that's why, that's why Paul says, Galatians 5, he says love is patient. Love is kind. That's what he says. Lo- the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The proof that you got the Holy Spirit is not that you can speak in tongues because everybody can't talk and everybody can't hear. That's not the proof. The proof that I have is the fruit of his spirit. And Paul says, this is what characterizes you and me. This is what defines you and me. This is how we do what we do. Paul equates loving someone with fulfilling the law. And by assigning love for another with such a high value, he's equating it with fulfilling the law. He's emphasizing the importance of this command. Paul compares the commandments against adultery, murder, theft, and coveting with the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't do it. 
I don't care how hard you try willing yourself, grunting, mm, you can't do it. Listen, listen, hear me. You don't have the long-term stamina to love someone else. That's why Paul says it, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his purpose. I, I, I use my wife as an illustration me and, I, and our marriage because it's safe. Um, but we've been married 13 years on September 4th, and, but we've been together a total of 16 years. And we, we talk a lot. You know, we're friends. And now, we weren't quite friends when we first got married. This is something that's kind of evolved as the longer we've been together. But I tell her, you know what? I, I don't know. Well, I, I, that's, that's not true. I, I love you now in a way that has no comparison to the love I had for you when we first met. I love you now for totally different reasons. It's, it's, it's deeper. It's, it's not physical. I, 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 love, I love your, I tell her, I love your soul because she's, she's patient and kind. She encourages me. She, 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 she helps me to remember that this is God's work. And th things that I've taught her, she's now reminding me. She reminds me that, that God has invited us on his mission. He's the missionary God. You've been together. You're married. You don't have the strength to do it. I know Kira doesn't. I'm temperamental. I'm getting better as I get near 50, but for a long time it was rough. I could be impatient. You don't have the power and strength to do it. Your children will drive you to distraction. You need God working in you. And here's the great news. The righteous requirements of the law have already been fulfilled in us because of Jesus' victory over sin through his death and resurrection. You, you, you have the power, follower of Jesus Christ, to do this right now. Why do we do it? Verses 11 through 14, because we know what time it is. Paul says, because we know the danger of the times we're in and, and, and we anticipate the soon return of Jesus. He's, he, this is a big theological word. He's, he's, he's speaking, uh, uh, he's using eschatological terms. We're talking about the eschaton or, or last things. He's saying, he says, he says, we submit, 
We love because we understand the times in which we are living. Because Jesus is soon to return. Now, you know, I'm kind of new to the predominantly white church. I grew up in the black church. And there is a such thing because I pastored several of them. And, 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 and I, I, one thing I loved about growing up in the African-American church is that we, we, the, the, the old saints kept us conscious of the last days. They would, they would sing songs like, my Lord's getting us ready for that great day. My Lord's getting us ready for that great day. My Lord's getting us ready for that great day. And then the, the song asks the question, who shall be able to stand? Then it goes, who shall, who shall be able, who shall, who shall be able, who shall, who shall be able, who shall be able to stand? I tell you what, you are because the person who's getting you ready for that great day is the one who's doing the sanctifying work of keeping you and sustaining you and delivering you until that great day. Last things. So Paul, Paul says four things. He says, wake up, cast off, walk properly, and put on the Lord Jesus. Let's look at it. First he says, and we're in verses 11 through 14, he says, wake up. Because it's possible to do many Christian things and yet essentially be asleep towards God. Sometimes people talk in their sleep, hear things in their sleep, walk in their sleep. Lord have mercy. Some people sing in their sleep. I'd like to see that. Some people think in their sleep. We call it dreaming. We, listen, we can do many religious things, listen at me, and still be asleep towards God. Sleep implies a lethargic Christian life. It suggests the thought of forgetfulness of God. You can come to worship every week and still be asleep toward God. He says, wake up. Brother, sister, he's talking to me. He's talking to you. He's saying, wake up. Then he says, cast off. Believers are to take off their sleeping clothes and put on their battle clothes. We are, we are, we are Christian soldiers preparing for the daily spiritual battle. Then he says, walk properly. This is a Hebrew idiom, which means a lifestyle. He, he's talking about lifestyle. That's what he means. You remember in Ephesians 4 and 1 when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do not, he says, fall into patterns of dark living. Dark living. Don't spend your time in wild parties and getting drunk or in adultery and lust or fighting, or jealousy. Because let me tell you something, the flesh will be as active as we allow it to be. It isn't as if Jesus does it for us and we sit back. That's not how this works. Instead, Jesus does it through us and we willingly and actively surrender to him. And then Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus. Mm, 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 mm. He says, take off. And then he says, put on. 
It means, to, it means simply to be more like Jesus, to receive by faith all that he is in our daily lives. I love this imagery. This, this, you, 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 don't go to sleep on me because I'm done. It, 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 it's the imagery. It relates to the royal robe of King Jesus now placed on the shoulders of believers. It reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke 15 where the father says to this son, uh, says to his servants, bring the best robe. That's one thing for him to say that. You hear him saying that to that prodigal son in Luke 15. But let me help you. That's the heavenly father talking to the prodigal you. He's saying, after he's called and waited for you to come, expecting and anticipating you, he tells the servant, I, 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 you're trying to explain, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve it, I'm terrible, I'm horrible, that ain't even up for discussion, he already knows that, but he says to you, he says to me, he says, he says to the servant, go and bring the best robe, it's a sign of position because slaves don't wear robes and and the best not the former robe he had on that he left behind that she used to wear bring the best and and, and listen listen at this we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ because of what Jesus Christ took off for us Paul tells us in Philippians 2 what he took off he humbled himself and became a servant took the form of a servant. He emptied himself. Then he went to a cross that was yours, that was mine. He put on the rags of our fallen human flesh. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, my favorite pericope, I tell you, he says, for God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us in our place, our substitute. He exchanged places with us. He, he became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. We are wearing robes of righteousness right now because of what God has done in and through his son, Jesus Christ. So what lens are you looking through? culture. I went to a college that taught us not to use the term race. The Bible doesn't really use the term race. We kind of put it in there. It uses the word ethnos, which would probably be uh, better. Uh, the better term would be used would be people group. Are you looking through your people group lens? Are you looking through your economic lens? Are you looking through your gender lens? Your problem with authority or government or whatever form it comes in begins with the lens through which you look. And Paul says our lenses as believers is God's word. Martin Luther calls the word of God the cradle and Jesus is in this cradle. You need to check your lenses. 
You need to check your lenses and see if your first lens is the word of God. Because if it's not, every single area in your life is out of order and it's going to be impacted. But because of Jesus, he can change all of that. No expecto patronum, no abracadabra, no alakazam, no hocus pocus. It's simply saying, Lord, I submit to you. In my thinking and in my thoughts and in the content of my thoughts, I submit to you. Lord, it's your spirit that does the work. It's your spirit that produces the fruit. Now I pray that your spirit will teach us and that he will transform us until Christ Jesus is formed in us. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.